0: Welcome back to the Lydia McGrew channel. I'm continuing a series on Evidentialism. I've called the other part so far, What Evidentialism is Not Part One, What Evidentialism is Not Part Two. Um, this is gonna continue that series, though I'm not gonna be um, focusing on one thing that Evidentialism is not, so I'll probably change the series title at this point to, you know, On Evidentialism Part Three or something like that. And today I'll be tackling the question, can there be a rational deconversion or a rational case of apostasy from Christianity where someone accepted Christianity and then it is actually at some later point rational for him to uh, abandon it to say he's not a Christian any longer. Um, and you'll remember the last time I said that evidentialism is not a game of whack-a-mole where you should just be, you know, I have I have an objection I can't answer, that's it. I'm out of here. And and always on this this verge. Um and I think that we who advocate evidentialism need to be constantly giving people resources to answer objections, but then also giving them sort of a higher view so that they recognize that um you know, any complex theory on any complex matter is going to have anomalies, and that that's not a reason to abandon the theory per se, the view per se. But that does leave open the question, could there ever be a case where a person is in such a situation that deconversion is rational? And I suggested last time that the answer to that is yes, but. So today I'm going to try to talk about the yes, but. And I'm going to give you the short version here at the beginning because this is going to be slightly longer. And then if you're interested, please please keep listening. Um, the short version is, yes, in principle, though I think that becomes rarer and rarer in an information-rich age with access to a lot of information, and um, moreover, if you deconvert for whatever reason, a, a bad reason, or if there were an actual rational deconversion, if you were in one of those rare situations, reconversion is is possible, and it's something that has happened. I mean, there have been actual people who have rediscovered their faith; they've come back. Um, there's a book called *Crisis of Doubt* about this happening even in the nineteenth uh, century, so that is a possibility. And that those of us who are concerned about the justice and faithfulness of God in connection with deconversion uh, should not think that by saying that there could be a case of rational deconversion, we're creating some special problem for the justice and faithfulness of God. Rather, I'm going to suggest that we should apply to that type of situation um, with relevant modifications, the same type of answer that we would give to a question of people who had never heard of Jesus in the first place due to historical contingencies. Now, if that intrigues you enough, please continue listening and you'll you'll hear more in detail of what I mean. Um, I have here a printout of a a presentation that Dr. William Lane Craig gave. I believe the date on it is 2021. And then it's been very nicely transcribed where he's talking about some of the nitty gritty of the epistemology, the way he views the internal witness of the Holy Spirit and how that relates to certain papers and so forth in uh, contemporary analytic philosophy of religion. And um, I was partly responding to that last time. Now, uh, at one point here, Dr. Craig is talking about Alvin Plantinga and a suggestion that Plantinga made at one time to the effect that um, the internal witness of the Holy Spirit is in theory defeasible, that you could have what gets called a defeater for it. And uh, Dr. Craig said he found that possibility disquieting, that he didn't think the, the internal witness of the Holy Spirit should be Feasible, and so then he was pleased that later, uh, Dr. Planega suggested to the contrary. Okay, maybe it's maybe it actually is in is not defeasible, um, and gave an analogy and so forth of you're knowing that you didn't commit a crime. I may address that analogy uh, in a later video, and and Dr. Crank really welcomed that, um, and in further talking about this, he and the indefeasibility of it. He gets to talking about the fact that uh, not everybody experiences that kind of intensity or something that they think is recognizable as an uh, indefeasible internal witness of the Holy Spirit. And he says, While that fact may well be a call to self-examination to see whether there be in any of us an evil, unbelieving heart leading us to fall away, The more fundamental point to be made here is that the testimony of the Holy Spirit can vary in intensity as the circumstances require. Most of us have extrinsic defeaters of the defeaters brought against Christian belief, that is to say, propositions distinct from those belonging to Christian belief itself, that serve to defeat the defeaters brought against it and therefore have no need of an overwhelming witness of the Holy Spirit. But someone in a disadvantaged situation, such as a university student in the old Soviet Union, who has no access to such extrinsic defeat defeaters, may be vouchsafed a more powerful witness of the Holy Spirit, enabling him to persevere even in the face of unanswerable defeaters. God is faithful and will supply what his children need in order to persevere in faith. And I think it's clear in the context that he doesn't just mean may, uh, that such a person may be vouchsafed this. He actually thinks that such a person will be vouchsafed this because down below he's again addressing uh, and someone, in this, in this case Andrew Moon, who suggests that a hypothetical believer named Hannah, who has had an internal witness of the Holy Spirit, could gain defeaters and that it's important not to be you know completely closed-minded to the possibility of uh refutation. and dr craig says now moon is quite correct that hannah can gain defeaters of her christian belief though it would be sinful for her to do so we can grieve and quench the holy spirit within us apostasy is a real and terrifying possibility where moon errs is equating open mindedness with openness to apostasy. So he's definitely saying that um, what is given to someone who is a Christian believer is something that is sufficient, that it is not rational for him to deconvert. Um, when he first introduces this concerning Plantiga, he says um, Plantiga appears to allow the belief in God so held may be defeated by arguments that the theist and also Christian in order to be rational, may have to abandon his belief in God. But this I find very disquieting. Um, okay. So he, he definitely is saying that it is, it is not rational to apostatize and, and because God will provide what you need to persevere in faith, not to deconvert. Um, and, and, therefore if you do deconvert you have sinned if if you're a if you're a believer okay so that's that's pretty strong and i don't think it's even necessary to vindicate the faithfulness and justice of god now to explain further my position on this I want to back up to some more general principles. Christianity is a historical religion. This is one reason why I do object when we move too quickly from theism to Christianity. When we just go directly from, you know, well, you don't need um, anything but the natural light to, to know that there's a God who created all things to now let's talk about, you know, what kind of defeaters there could be for Christianity. Because there's really a pretty strong difference there. Christianity is intrinsically historical. It includes propositions such as that um, a particular person lived at a particular time and that that person died in a certain way. He was crucified, dead and buried, and then three days later, he rose from the dead. These are historical propositions. What this means then is that whether someone knows about christianity is a historically contingent matter as i mentioned last time paul doesn't say um everyone is without excuse from the creation for not knowing that jesus died and rose again no he says that there's natural revelation that that lets us know god's eternal power okay and And that god exists but then he says later in the book of romans concerning christianity how shall they hear without a preacher so christianity itself requires a preacher it's it's specific content you're gonna have to um you're gonna have to hear about it somehow or learn about it somehow now this gives rise to the whole question what about people who've never heard of jesus and i think a theodicy needs to deal with that i think christians need to have an answer to that because you can imagine someone who really through no fault of his own he doesn't believe in jesus because he's literally never heard of him and so it's it's not irrational for that person to be in a situation where he does not believe in jesus because you know he, he never heard that such a person even exists um and different people, different theological traditions, give different answers. Now, I hope my Calvinist friends will forgive me. I'll just um, describe what I'm about to call uh, a variety of Calvinism. So, if this isn't your variety of Calvinism, that's fine, you know. But a variety of Calvinism would answer that question by saying, uh, "People do not go to hell for not having heard of Jesus. They go to hell for their sins because they're sinners." And all our sinners and the elect are are saved through Jesus' blood, and therefore their sins are forgiven. But God doesn't owe it to anybody to uh, make that person one of the elect or to save that person. That's just of His grace that He does that. And so nobody has any complaint if if uh, He Himself is not one of the elect and goes to hell for his sins. That's that's one answer, right? Um, and if you are among the elect, God will see to it that you that you do hear and that you do respond. Okay, so that's one type of Calvinist answer. Uh, a more what we might generally call Molinist answer, which is similar to what I've actually heard Dr. Craig himself give concerning this question of those who haven't heard, um, would go something like this. God knows of every person how that person would respond if that person received a... Uh, evidence about jesus if that person heard the gospel god knows how that person would respond and if god knows that that person would accept and would believe and would go to heaven then he will see to it that that person receives more light in one way or another but we don't know exactly what form that will take so it might take the form of um God sending the person a very unusual type of dream that is um, capable, capable of being verified. You know, perhaps it's um, got some kind of connection to the world and the person is, you know, astonished. And then that leads the person on and then maybe they're told to go to a certain place and then they meet somebody there who tells them about Christ and educates, educates them further informs them, gives them a Bible, and so forth, um, and disciples them. Or it might take the form of God um, pressing someone to to go to that person um, and continuing to, um, you know, influence believers until someone actually does go. Or it might be some kind of special revelation at the time of death. And we don't know, and we're not going to tie God down to one way or other, but because we have independent reason to believe that God is loving and just, and that as the Bible says, he is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance, he will find a way to reach those whom he knows would believe. I think that's a pretty good answer. That's, That's the answer I'm inclined towards concerning what about those who have never heard. Now, that may seem like a digression, but I don't think it's a digression. And that brings us to the topic today of the potential for rational deconversion by virtue of the same historical contingency that makes it possible for a person never to have heard of Jesus. I think it's hard to deny that it would be possible for a person to be in a situation where they rationally no longer believe Christianity to be true when they previously did believe it to be true. That happens a lot. And there are a lot of true things that you can get faulty information on where you rationally believe them to be false, even though they're true. Um, and there are a lot of true things, most true things out in the world. You could first have reason to believe it's true, then get some inaccurate information that would lead you to believe it's false and then uh, further get some other information to correct you back again and then you would realize it was true. And I just can't think of any reason why uh, Christianity should be immune to this. Now, I'd like to make this concrete and I'd like to pick up a bit on Dr. Craig's example of a person in the old Soviet Union. Um, Now, even that person, I believe, Probably could have gotten hold of a Bible, and I've talked about, um, you know, the the indications of verisimilitude in the Gospels. So to make this even more concrete, I'm going to imagine a person who is he's shut off even from that. So we imagine a person in a non-Christian environment, and let's say that a missionary comes and preaches a gospel message and tells about about Jesus and it's it's true he gives um tells about God and how God sent his son he died for us he he rose again from the dead he died for our sins and um and he will give the Holy Spirit to those who believe and so forth and um the person we're thinking of he is. He realizes he's a sinner. By the way, that only requires introspection and self observation. Um, I think most of us can probably think of sins we've committed in the recent past. I know I can. So that's that's hardly difficult. And um, that he realizes he's a sinner and he needs this. And so he responds to the invitation. And the the missionary talks with him for a while, prays with him, uh, and he he accepts. Jesus Christ he commits himself to Jesus but there's no opportunity for him to be discipled the missionary is let's say promptly expelled from the country and this this guy he can't find a a radio station that's getting through to him um maybe he's um maybe he's a minor maybe he's a teenager and his parents are shutting him off from that he doesn't have an address to which to write to the missionary. The missionary didn't know he was going to be kicked out so soon. Um, He doesn't have a Bible at all in his own language. He doesn't have anyone who's reading the Bible to him. And now we're going to make it even worse. We're going to go farther. We're going to imagine that as he continues to live and struggle and try to keep, um, you know, praying and, you know, loving Jesus and following the the little that he knows, um, he meets a Christmither, and his parents are only too eager to introduce him to this, this guy, this Christmither. And this Jesus Smither, let's just say, seems as far as our convert can tell, just as kind, just as truthful, just as careful, just as well-informed as the Christian missionary seemed during the short time that he interacted with him. And tells him, I am so sorry, but um, the man who, who came and spoke here, he was deluded. He was a member of a cult. And those cultists, they believe that this man Jesus really existed, but, you know, he really, he did not exist. There was, there was no Jesus. Or maybe we can modify it a little. This is an almost Christ myth. You know, he says there, there may have been a person named Yeshua of Nazareth, who lived around that time, but we know almost nothing about him. He's sort of like, uh, you know, Robin Hood, you know, or King Arthur or something. Um, There's just very little at all known about him. We don't even know if he was, you know, crucified um, under, under Pontius Pilate or anything like that. So I'm sorry that cult, you know, they tell each other that he lived and they can know all this stuff about him. They have these these books they call them the Gospels that are supposed to come from his followers but that's all nonsense and you know I'm really sorry that you were taken in by this and and this person makes a friend of him and actually has more spends more time with him than the Christian ever had opportunity to spend with the missionary and he he prays he keeps struggling because he still believes that God exists but no further light comes to him he he prays for an opportunity to get hold of a Bible, and it doesn't happen. He prays to be able to get in touch with some more Christians who can maybe tell him more, and that doesn't happen. Um, and it goes on for a while, and eventually he says, well, you know what? This, this, this man who says Jesus wasn't real, you know, he's given me all kinds of information. He's even explained to me, you know, how these cult members got confused into believing that they know all of this stuff about this this man, Yeshua, and it's just not true at all. And all of the 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 deception that's gone on. And he's shown me how this was all very corrupted and everything. And I guess he's right. And it it's because he's received faulty information. Now, you know, maybe that isn't the best example I could give. But, you know, I've tried to spell it out in enough detail that I think it's pretty understandable almost anything that could happen with. We could imagine a person who was cut off from information and became convinced uh, rationally by false information that he's given that Abraham Lincoln never existed, okay, Um, that seems to refute the information that he already had. So it's a historically contingent fact that Jesus was born and lived and died um, and, and rose from the dead. I mean, those are those are concrete things, and with concrete things we can gain information that makes it look reasonably like they didn't happen, even if they did happen. So, well, what am I gonna say then? You know, has God has God abandoned this person? Well, no. I would advise giving the same type of answer to that that you would give just modified mutatis mutandis, as they say, to the idea of a person who's never heard, because I believe these are, in a sense, um, of the same genus. They're, They're similar in that they both result from the historical nature of Christianity and from historical contingencies that can lead to a person lacking information or having false information. And as as there so here i would say yes god is faithful but it doesn't follow from the fact that god is faithful that he's going to prevent the convert from deconverting at some point in time that is to say that person might indeed come to a point where without sinning in so doing he says i I guess i'm just i'm not a christian anymore you know and in Maybe he's still a theist. I think he should still be a theist, but I'm not a Christian anymore. And, um, you know, I'll, I'll hope to find out, you know, more information. I'm trying to respond rationally to the information I have. I'll still hope for, you know, any light that anyone can shed, but I am I am no longer a Christian. I, I no longer um, consider myself to be a Christian. I can't follow Jesus anymore. I'm not even sure if he existed. Um, and... I don't see any reason to insist that God is going to intervene to prevent that from happening. You remember that when we we talked about the sort of Molinist response to um, what about people who have never heard, I said, we don't know exactly how God is going to deal with that. Okay, he might do this, or he might do this, or he might do this. Well, why can't we say that here? What Dr. Craig appears to be saying is, no, because God is faithful, he's going to provide what's necessary for the person not to deconvert at all. So that if the person deconverts, it must be a sin. And so therefore, there has to be this, uh, you know, necessary intensity of the internal witness of the Holy Spirit in order to prevent that. I, I think there's a danger in doing theology in quite such an a priori manner because then a person who says yeah well you know i i nothing like that happened to me even though i asked for it and then i you know i deconverted um i want to put this as gently as i can god allows all kinds of horrible things we know that we know that there are people who live and die maybe they die a natural disaster you know when they're fairly young and they never heard of Jesus God allows child trafficking God allowed the Holocaust God allows unspeakable things just things that it's a a darkness to the mind even even to think about for too long and we know for a fact that God allows them. so to say God would not allow a person to be in an informational situation such that he would be rational in abandoning Christianity because he, he didn't have the opportunity to be properly discipled. Um I think that's that's being too aprioristic about about the matter. And when we already know that God does allow things that are really, really bad and we're we're willing to face that and to answer that as a kind of a problem of evil then I don't see any principled reason to say well this isn't one of those things God God wouldn't allow that but at the same time I do think God is faithful and so in this case as in the case of a person who hasn't heard I think if God knows that that person would receive further information after his deconversion and would reconvert again I believe there's reason to think God would send that to him. Now, if you take that um, certain Calvinist position that I suggested, then you could apply that here. You know, you could say, well, if he goes to hell, he goes to hell for his sins, not because uh, he got the wrong set of information. So I would suggest that whatever answer you think is, is correct, and hopefully you'll find one that is correct. We want to know the truth. This is objective. to the problem of what about people who've never heard is subject with modification to be applied to the question, what about a case of rational deconversion? Uh, and are there such or could there be such? Yes, but. And you know, when we think about it, how does the hymn go? Um, when we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. Um, this life is just a, a little blip compared to eternity, compared to eternity with God. And I don't believe that anyone who experiences the beatific vision, who is in the presence of God rejoicing for all eternity, is going to say, yeah, but I'm mad at God because he let me deconvert, and then he let me go for, you know, I don't know, 50 years as a a deconvert before um, he— revealed more to me and brought me brought me back again and gave gave me access to more understanding so you know i'm mad at you god you messed up no it's going to be like wow you know look at all the different ways that god brought us here god brings us all here by by different ways let me also add that i am not denying that god helps believers you know, someone said on social media, well, don't you think God owes something more to believers than to non-believers? Well, maybe so. Um, from a God's eye view, I think he sees people in a sense as, as a whole. So I'm not sure that I don't think God is in time. So I don't think of God as being there going, oh, right now I owe more to this guy than I owe to this guy. Um, he sees whether the person is a, is a believer in, in, in the eternal perspective. But set that aside, um, there are promises that are made to believers of the indwelling of the Spirit. But remember, I I've said on a previous video that uh, that's not something that I need to deny as an evidentialist. I think that one of the ways that the Holy Spirit works, whether in drawing people to, to Christ in the first place or working in the hearts of people who have already trusted Christ, is in helping us to see more clearly where reason points to clear our minds of that that cloud of uh, confusion, just simple confusion or sin or whatever, and to help us to see and be more rational, so what I'm questioning is and and in fact denying is that there is just as a normal thing a defeat or defeating internal witness of the Holy Spirit, which is sui generis uh it is just it is what it is and it's indefeasible and it's not just clearing our minds you know to to see uh what's rational or whatever it doesn't that it it doesn't look like just the ordinary um activities of our natural faculties uh, my understanding is that for this person in this uh information challenge stage what Dr. Craig is, is proposing is something that's not gonna just look like that guy's natural faculties, that it's gonna be this intense thing that is is different. And um, I, I don't see any reason a priori to say that that is what would happen uh, to prevent deconversion so that all deconversion is sin. Um, now, what I may have said thus far may have been offensive to some people who are deconverts because in the last video and I've sort of implied it here as well I said that you know if you're on the internet and you have access to the internet and you're saying hey here I am I'm an example of a rational deconvert you're probably not um because and and I I think I'm bound to say that because I believe that objections are answerable okay and so I think that if you think that a certain objection is was unanswerable, you're making some kind of mistake. Either that or you haven't, you know, looked around enough to to find the information. Now, a mistake isn't necessarily evil. I mean, not all mistakes are evil. Um, so things get a little uh, complicated, right? It, you know, am I saying that that sin is involved or that it isn't? Well... I'm not going to make a definite judgment on that. But I am going to say that if you've got the relevant information and you don't see that it answers the objection that has caused you to deconvert, then you're making some kind of mistake. And so in that sense, your your deconversion is not perfectly rational. Um, And I hope that isn't offensive. But I would rather move on from that issue to say this. Whether you deconverted with perfect rationality or not, whether I'm right or wrong, it is possible to come back. It is possible to reconvert. And so if you know that you want to know the truth, then don't give up, keep looking because God is faithful and he is not willing that any should perish. I've decided to put off to a later video uh, a possible objection to that statement I've just made, that it is possible to come back, it is possible to reconvert, uh, because that would make this too long. So I'm going to do that next time, a possible objection to the possibility of reconverting after deconverting. I hope this has been useful. And I'm sorry for the couple of thumps and bumps here. The mail came late and you probably heard it dropping through the box, and I just bumped my microphone. But I hope you will come back next time for the next installment in this series uh, on evidentialism, what it is, what it isn't, what it requires, and what it doesn't. And please be sure to like and subscribe. Thanks so much for listening or watching. I'm Lydia McGrew.